Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, we are wrapping up a series today entitled Heaven, Hell, and Life After, Life After Death, Life in the New World. And today we will begin answering some of your questions that you guys have submitted uh, about this topic. But before we dig into that, I just need to say that I don't know about anybody else, but this series has been so beneficial to my faith. It's, it's one that's going to stand out in my mind for a long time to come. Coincidentally, as we have been going through this series, uh, the, the Foundations class that I'm a part of has been studying Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, which is based on Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. And they say this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in both the, the sermon series we've been studying and in the discipleship class I'm a part of, the, po- the focus for the past several weeks has been on heaven. And as we've been thinking about heaven and storing up treasure there, I've had a revelation about myself, which is that if I'm being honest, I haven't throughout my life been overly excited about storing up treasure in heaven. It's not that I haven't tried to live a life that's pleasing to God. I I have. I've done that. But I I haven't really gotten excited about what it means to store up treasure in heaven. And as I've thought about that, I had another revelation, which is that when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, I think it would be equally as true if he had said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I don't think it matters what order those things come in. I think the point Jesus was making is just that there's a connection between our heart and our treasure. But reversing the order of those two things has been very beneficial to me in understanding what Jesus was saying here so much clearer. I'll give you an example. For the past five or six years, Kim and I have taken a a trip to Florida in the spring. At the end of a long, cold, gray, wet Indiana winter, which I despise, we go to warm, sunny Florida. And we spend a few days with my parents, and then Kim and I alone go over to the beach and spend some time just investing in our marriage. And and we enjoy this trip so much that there is a longing in our hearts to go back and create new memories year after year. The time we spend in Florida has captured our hearts. And because our hearts are attached, like the 2024 trip is already planned. The VRBO is reserved. The plane tickets are bought. The rental car is already reserved. We are planning. Not hardly a week goes by that we don't think about last year's trip or a previous year's trip and think about what we're going to do this year while we're there, planning things to do. Where our heart is, there our treasure is also. We don't mind spending the money to buy the plane tickets and to buy the rent, rent the rental car and the place to stay. We don't mind investing treasure because our, our hearts are already there. Do you see the progression? Where our hearts are, there our treasure is also. And in light of that, I've had to ask myself, 
How much time do I spend thinking about heaven? Like, what, what will it look like? What will we experience there? What will we do there? Who's else, who else is going to be there? How much time do I spend thinking about that? What am I actively doing to create a longing in my heart for heaven so that I can create a passion that makes me want to store up treasure there? And what I've realized is that up to this point in my life, I've kind of thought about heaven as God's going to be there, it's going to be a lot better, and that's about it. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the specifics of what it would be like. And what this study of heaven and life after death has awakened in me is an understanding that it's okay to dream about heaven. In fact, it's more than okay. I think it's actually an imperative that we must think about heaven so that our hearts will be drawn there and then our treasure follows our hearts. So with that being said, let's take a minute to, to pray and then we're going to begin answering some of the questions that you all have submitted about this topic. Hopefully at the end of the day, our minds and our hearts will be more drawn to heaven than they are as we come in here this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are far more than we could ask for or imagine. And studying your word this week on these topics has, has opened my eyes to things that I never even considered. And you are so big and you are so amazing. And Lord, sometimes we just make you so small. Our minds are so clouded and so sin-cursed that, that we just don't see your grandeur. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that. And this morning, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to, to see the, how grand you truly are, how gracious you truly are, and how amazing you truly are. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. So here's our first question. When the new heavens and the new earth are established, and we are restored physically to our new bodies, will our relationships be maintained? Father, mother, son, daughter, etc.? As we get started on answering these questions, uh, let me first say that none of the, the questions we're going to be looking at has like a verse of scripture that answers it directly. Yes, you're going to maintain your relationships, or no, you're not going to maintain your There's nothing like that. But what we can do is look at various scriptures and draw on general revelation to arrive at conclusions that are logical and meaningful. So let's begin that by looking at the book of Job, chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. They'll be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, it's beneficial to actually look them up. So Job, chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. This is Job speaking, and this is what he says. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. In this passage, Job is recognizing that at some point he is going to die. And his flesh is going to decay in the grave. But he also knows that one day on the new earth, his Redeemer, his Jesus, will rule. 
And Job, in his resurrected, glorified body, will see Jesus with his own two eyes. Look at how personal this is. After my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. The message that's being conveyed here is that Job is a specific person in history, and he knows that at the resurrection, he will still be Job. He will still have his own distinct identity. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and there we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Beginning with verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So again, here Jesus is saying that just as there is rejoicing amongst shepherds, when one specific lost sheep is found, the residents of heaven rejoice when one specific lost sinner comes to repentance. God views each person as a separate individual, and he both grieves when that individual is far from him and is full of joy when that individual comes to him. So from these two passages, what we have established, I believe, is that individual identity is an essential aspect of personhood. It's taught in Scripture, but it's also a part of general revelation. It's part of science, and here's how we know. Each of us have our own genetic makeup, right? Our own unique genetic makeup. No one else in all the world has the same genetic profile that you have. Not even if you have an identical twin, there are still differences in your genetic profile. The cells of each of our bodies contain this molecule called DNA, which contains the code that describes how to make you. How big will your ears be? What color will your skin be? Will you be big-boned? Anybody else, their parents tell them that when they were a kid? <laughs> or slender? And it's, it's more than just our physical appearance, right? The makeup of our DNA also plays a role in things like how our brain functions, how we process and respond to information. Like, will you be quick-witted and funny, or are you going to be serious and methodical in your thinking? And here's why this is important. If DNA contains this code that contains the instructions for how each of us are made, where did that information come from? Because code can't come from nowhere. It can't just randomly arise, right? It has to come from a source of intelligence. And since every single living organism contains this code, this, this code that codes for what the characteristics will be of that thing, that code has to come from the source of all life right? And our belief, of course, is that that source of intelligence who created the genetic code is God himself, who knits us together 
as individuals in our mother's wombs. So if God is the source of all life, and he implanted this code into all living things, couldn't he have made all of us exactly alike? He very well could have done that, right? We could have all been exactly alike. But he chose to give each of us a very specific identity. So again, individual identity is an essential part of personhood. But again, DNA isn't the only thing. What about our life experiences? Don't those determine some of who we become? Part of what makes me Jerry Markins is that I'm the son of a very specific set of parents. And I'm the grandchild of Jerry and Joanne Markins and Glenn and Maggie Rice. And I'm the husband of Kim Henry Markins. And I'm the father of Shelby, Abby, Christie, and Kylie. And all of those people and many more, many of you sitting here, have had an impact on me becoming who I am today. Just as the people in your life have shaped you into who you are, the the people in my life have shaped me into who I am. So let's review. Job confirmed that he had a very specific identity and knew that he would be resurrected to see Jesus with his own eyes. Jesus said there is rejoicing in heaven when one specific sinner repents. God the Creator gave each of us a truly unique and distinct DNA profile. And each of us are shaped by our own unique life experiences. And if we add to all of this the fact that Jesus was easily recognizable after the resurrection, as well as the fact that Peter and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, they recognized Moses and Elijah, people that had lived and gone to be with the Lord hundreds of years beforehand, they recognized them. They knew who they were. The conclusion I arrive at is that there's every reason to believe that we are, we are going to gain a lot of new relationships in heaven. But in addition, the family relationships we enjoyed on this earth with our Christ-following relatives are not only going to continue to exist in heaven, but they're going to deepen. They're going to greatly deepen. Because they're part of what God used to shape us as individuals. Another way to think about this is that Life and the relationships we have here on this earth, they matter for eternity. God's not going to erase who we were in this life and start all over again in the new earth. We're still going to be who we are here, but without all the bad stuff, without all the bad parts of us. This is one of those things that this week has got me really excited about heaven. Every year, our whole family has a a big event. Right before Mike and Mom go back to Florida, my brothers and their wives and my nieces and nephews and my kids and grandkids, we all get together and we celebrate all of the fall and winter holidays in one day. And our girls will call this, Thanks Crystalween. We have decorated pumpkins, we've had costume competitions, we have Thanksgiving dinner, we get Christmas presents, all in one day. It's a big deal. We do it every year. At the end of the day, it always feels like we need more time. Always. Like one day wasn't enough. And in heaven, we're not going to be limited. Time is not going to be a limiting factor on any of our relationships in heaven. Isn't that an amazing thing? To think of life outside of time? That we won't have to worry about, I've got to get home to get to bed. 
I gotta get up for work the next. We won't we won't be limited by time. We'll be able to invest as much time as we want or need in any relationship. That's gonna be a great day. It'll be a great day. Having said all that, I do want to address the fact that while many of us have treasured family relationships on this earth, we also know that there are others who have endured a lifetime of brokenness and dysfunction, abusive family relationships. That's Some of you know my story with my biological dad. That was the case. We never really had a good relationship with him. And what I'd like to point out is that in heaven, we are all going to be a big, happy family. All of our relationships are going to be completely harmonious. We will no longer cause one another pain. For those who have suffered in this life from family struggles, and in heaven we will all have close, fulfilling relationships. Whether that be with our biological family or people that we haven't even met yet, whose family we will be grafted into, we are going to be in great relationships in heaven. Amen? hope that this is helping you to get your hearts oriented towards heaven the way it has me this week. It's been so enlightening. And with that, let's move on to question number two. I literally set up my desk in tears preparing this second question. It's actually two questions together. The first one is this. In heaven, will I know my baby who didn't make it to full term? And the second one is this. Do children who die grow up in heaven Will they remain children forever? As we begin to unpack this, turn with me, if you will, in your Bible. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just one verse. Romans 5, 12. And it says this. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sin. So the first thing I want to point out is that through this one single verse, we need to understand that children are born sinners. They are born sinners. They inherit the sin nature of their parents. Nowhere does Scripture teach the, the, innocent, the moral innocence of kids. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite, that we were born depraved. Right? In addition... John 3.3 3 tells us that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. And these two things combined leave us with the difficult question, how can a baby or a child be born again without consciously choosing Christ? And so to answer this, we need to go directly to Jesus. We just need to go directly to him. So look first at Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. And some children were brought to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. So the disciples, of course, thought, Jesus is this important guy. He's way too important to be messing around with a bunch of little kids. And they try to shoo them away. And Jesus says, stop. Stop. Let these kids come to me. And he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Kind of a head scratcher, right? 
Okay, now turn back a chapter to Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a, as a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here Jesus uses a child as an example of faith. Now stay in Matthew 18 and just go down to verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So children have an angel assigned to them in heaven who sees the face of the Father at all times. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says, this verse clearly indicates special treatment for children, suggesting that there may be other acts of special treatment for children, including salvation apart from the normal process of confession and repentance. One more thought I'd like us to consider comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm not even going to put it up on the screen, but I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of talk us through it. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we learn of David's affair with Bathsheba, who was married to another man. And David was informed by the prophet Nathan that the child produced by that relationship was going to die. So David began to fast and pray, asking the Lord to spare his son's life. But when the child did die, David got up, went and worshipped the Lord, and then went and got some food. And so his servants started asking him about this. You know, while the child was sick, you were fasting and weeping, and now that the child has died, you're you're just back to normal. And David said, who knows? While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, and I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David's words here, I think, are clearly indicate that he believes he's going to go be with his son in eternity someday. His son won't be coming back to life on this earth, but David will be going to be with his son in heaven someday. So taking all these passages into consideration... I believe that babies and children who have not yet reached a place of maturity when they pass on uh, will be in heaven. If they couldn't understand their, their sin and their need for a Savior, I believe those babies and children will be in heaven. But that wasn't really the question, was it? The question was, will I know my child? And I believe the answer to that question is a definite yes. And again, I would call us back to Peter and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Moses and Elijah, two people that had gone to be with the Lord hundreds of years before Peter and John were ever born, but instantly they recognized who they were. In heaven, I think we're going to know who everyone is. Jesus talks about there will be many who recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to know who everyone is. We're not going to know them like, we're still going to have to invest time getting to know people, but we're, we're going to know who they are somehow. 
And therefore, I fully believe we will recognize even babies who didn't make it to full term. Won't that be amazing? Won't that be amazing? It's awfully quiet in here. Seeing a baby that didn't make it to full term and knowing that's my child. Is that not something to get excited about for heaven? Yeah, but we still have one more question to answer, which is, will babies or children who died be children in heaven, or will they appear as adults? And so I'm going to have to ask you to dream with me a little bit here. I'm excited to talk through this because this is what had me in tears this week. One of the things I'm learning about heaven is that it's okay not to have all the answers, but it's still okay to dream. And it's okay to dream big, right? As long as we're, we have a, frame, a biblical framework that we're dreaming within, I think it's okay for us to dream. So as we begin to think about this question, let's build that biblical framework. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to begin reading with verse 6. Isaiah 11, beginning with verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them, and the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now let me preface what I'm about to say as this. As we all know, prophecy is difficult to understand and interpret, right? Not long ago, Pastor Mike gave us the illustration of the mountains, where peaks that are taller but farther off might appear to the human eye to be nearer than the actual nearer, shorter mountains. Does that make sense? Prophecy is often like that. It can be hard to determine the time frame that's actually in view. And I tell you that because there's some uncertainty amongst scholars about whether the passage we just read is talking about a millennial kingdom or a picture of the new earth. Personally, I think it could be both, because prophecy sometimes does that as well. It, re it reveals two things at one time. But here's why I think this is something to dream about. And again, not being dogmatic, I'm not guaranteeing that this is definitely the way things are going to be. But just consider the possibility. If the passage we just read is painting a picture of the new earth, we have to ask, who are the babies and children that are playing next to these animals? Who are they? Might they be babies and children who passed away on this earth and who will be resurrected in the new earth and allowed to grow up there? Might that be a possibility? And if that's true, might it also be possible that their earthly parents get a chance to not only be reunited with them, but to play a role in their growing up? quiet. Is that not amazing? I'm not being dogmatic here. I'm not guaranteeing this is how it's going to be. I don't know for sure because, again, prophecy is hard to understand. But here is what I do know. 
it would not be out of character for God to orchestrate such an incredible act of grace. (laughs) Is that not true? Yeah. Restoring years that moth and rust and death destroyed. God's grace is amazing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for too long I haven't taken time to think about the possibilities of what we will experience in heaven, and I will not be making that mistake again. I think this is so beneficial for my faith to just imagine and dream about what heaven might be like. It makes me passionate about putting treasure there where I'm going to spend my eternity. Taking time to to think and dream about what we might experience there, I think, is almost going to be a new spiritual discipline for me. That's how we get our hearts firmly planted there and want to send our treasure on. Now, I know you're probably getting tired of listening to me, but if it's okay with y'all, I'd like to answer one more question. This one is a bit lighter in nature, and quite honestly, I'm being a bit selfish in answering this one because I kind of like to publicly right a wrong from my past. Years ago, my daughter, Abby, asked my mother-in-law, do you think there's going to be dogs in heaven? And my mother-in-law responded, yes, Abby, I think there will be, because I don't think God would give us relationships with animals on the earth and then take that away from us in the, the new earth. And Abby's response to that was, well, my daddy says that dogs don't have souls and he doesn't think they're going to be there. <laughs> and of course, she was sad about that. <laughs> Now, first of all, Abby wasn't very old when this whole story took place, so I don't know why I was so flippant about answering a, a question that was so near and dear to this tender-hearted little girl's heart, right? Uh, especially considering that what she probably really wanted to know was, will my dog who passed away be in heaven? Yeah. And second of all, as I took time this week to really consider whether there will be dogs in heaven, I think I was wrong. I really think I was wrong. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 18. Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, all of creation was impacted by the sin of man. And animals obviously are part of creation. And there is no doubt that animals have suffered in this fallen world, right? And although I still don't believe animals have souls the way humans have souls, this passage makes clear that Jesus' sacrifice and atonement for sin will ultimately make all things right in all of creation on the new earth. But here's where I think this really gets interesting if we just process it. If God were to create a whole new race of people on the new earth, would that fulfill the promises made in this passage? If God created a whole new race of people, would that fulfill the promises for deliverance, redemption, 
and resurrection. It wouldn't, would it? Deliverance, redemption, and resurrection can only come from the same people who suffered and died under the curse of sin. Look again at the language in verses 18 and 19. The sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to who? To us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And then verse 21. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This Longing for redemption, to be set free from corruption, can only be fulfilled in the same people and the same creation who experience suffering under the curse. So if we take this to its logical conclusion, this means that at least some of the animals who suffered on the old earth must be delivered and redeemed to a life on the new earth. At least some of the animals who suffered must be allowed to experience what it's like to live in a world set free from its slavery to sin. So will there be animals in heaven? I believe most definitely that there will be, based on the Word of God itself. Let me finish with this. Not being dogmatic. Dogmatic, get it? Although I still don't believe animals have souls, In the same way that humans have souls, I absolutely acknowledge that God is their creator and he has touched many of our lives through them, including mine, just like Abby. I'm a dog lover. And after spending time thinking and studying this week, I now believe that if it would make heaven better for us and if our gracious God so desires, there is no reason given in scripture that would prevent him from recreating a beloved family pet on the new earth to live with us. For if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen. Which camera is on me? Pull it in tight on my face. (laughs) Abby, when you watch this, I was wrong. It might not happen again, so mark that down. (laughs) Let's pray.